Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. Well, Carl, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. Can you just introduce yourself to the people who are watching or listening and let them know a little bit about yourself and how you got introduced to the IFB movement? Yeah, Eric, thanks for for having me on. My dad, as far back as I can remember, has been a pastor in the IFB movement. And when I was born, he was a youth pastor of a small church in, in Wisconsin, and obviously, I don't remember that kind of thing. But when I was two two years old, we moved out to Connecticut, and he was uh, the youth pastor and a teacher there, administrator at a, a Christian school for about eight years. And so there, I was introduced to to Pensacola Christian College, to groups from those places. As my dad was a youth pastor, so we'd have the groups come and spend time with them. Maranatha. I believe Northland Baptist, which is up in Wisconsin. And then we moved to Wisconsin. My dad became a senior pastor. He was a senior pastor at a small church in Hannibal, Wisconsin, and then in Barron. And then after um, I graduated high school, I was homeschooled all the way through. After I graduated high school, I went out to West Coast. My my aunt and uncle had some connections through college with with uh, Pastor Chapel, and then the Rasmussen's had known them previously, and I was actually told, you know, it's it's a little bit of a liberal liberal school, but but a good good place to go. While there, I met the girl who's now my wife, Mindy. We've been married for you know thirteen years this this month. I went on tour for the college, traveled for the college. She had accepted Christ the summer before we went to college in two thousand four at a girl's home in, in South Carolina, Victoria's Valley girls home, which is now, I believe they just closed a few years ago. But after we, we actually left college, neither of us finished there. After we left, we went on staff at, at, at this uh, reform school okay. type, type facility, boys and girls home. And then a few years later, moved to Arizona, part-time staff on a, at a church here. All of these 
uh, independent fundamental Baptists. And part of, part of the deal with that is I know you've had a lot of guests who are, and you yourself talked about being the type that question and, and question everything, question a lot, ask questions and, and always want to know the reason. And that was not me. And I know that there's a lot like me, you know, some, some others in my family or my wife's family, other friends I've talked to where similar to some past guests you've had too, we, we heard and we accepted and we internalized. And it was like, as long as I do these things and don't question, I'm doing the right thing. Hmm. And so that's kind of how my entire journey played out. Like, I don't know if I ever had an original question in my head really hmm. until just a few years ago, probably probably about three, four years ago. And a lot of that was prompted by discussions with my wife, who is very much that, what are the questions? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why do Baptists do that? Why are we Baptist type thing? It was always very a very harsh answer for me because that's what I'd heard. That's what I'd learned. That's what I'd internalized. Why are you asking questions? Like, right. what we do. And I know for some people within the movement, it's, Uh, that's not a thing for them. Like they feel like that's really, they have the answer to all the questions. And I think that's part of the problem with the movement itself. Like when we, when we left our, our former church home, the Baptist church almost two years ago now, I kind of push reset on everything. I believe, you know, the focal point being Jesus. I mean, right now I'm a youth pastor at a evangelical free church in the same town we're in. Um, you know, my faith is very strong, but as far as like things like, why do we not go to movie theaters? Why do we not drink alcohol? You know, and, and that for me was a big one because it went so far as like, I remember as a, as a child in elementary school, I had, had an aunt who passed away of cancer, Mm -hmm. my dad's sister and her husband, John was not a, a Christian man. And it was always talked about like, he's this, you know, she married an unsaved man. He's a bad guy. And, you know, I know what the Bible has to say about that, but it was never like an attempt to go and, and have a relationship with him. We right. like separated from him. Mm-hmm. And so I would be encouraged to pray for his salvation and pray for a change in his life. So I remember getting on my knees and begging God every night for right. years to save him. You know, the words that we use say, you know, save my uncle. But I think I met him like twice. Mm-hmm. And the main reason was, because he was a drinker. Now they lived a little ways away from us, but we saw all our other family. We just didn't really see them. And and one of the main reasons was because they drank alcohol. Same with my mom's side of the family. So kind of reconciling all that stuff and giving it to, to God and filtering it through scripture in a way that's not so dogmatic has right. been a huge part of my journey. Right. So that was, that was a long, long, long <laughs> explanation, but that covers, you know, 30 years of my history. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No. So you had mentioned, you had mentioned, you know, not really being a questioner and kind of just essentially going with the flow of what was taught, but, you know, obviously conversations helped. Was, was there, was there something that initially kind of, uh, I guess, opened your ear to those conversations or something where it kind of, you know, so it triggered something in you to say like, oh, maybe something is a little bit off or maybe something is a little bit strange here. Yeah, this is really hard to talk about. And this is honestly why it took so long for me to reach out to you. Like, it feels like so long. Like, I've listened since day one, basically. Right. Um, I mean, a few weeks after and caught up to your podcast. But so back in 2015, my wife and I had our, at the time, fourth child. 
he stopped breathing in his sleep and went into basically went into this situation where he wasn't breathing on his own. He wasn't eating on his own. He was, I guess you wouldn't really call it in a coma, but his, his brain wasn't functioning. And so for like a year, he was in the hospital like setting in our living room. And there were a couple things that happened during that time. Obviously it was a very difficult time for, for our marriage. Um, People grieve differently. And so we have this infant, but we also have three, you know, children under the age of six or seven oh. at the time, whatever it was, who don't understand what's going on. But, you know, so the whole thing was yeah. a disaster. And into that, and this is why this is so hard, but into that stepped my family. My dad and mom and, and my, uh, I have an adult sister, and then my parents adopted twins who are like 20 this year, I believe. And they all moved out to our town in Arizona to help out with, with the baby. And, and I told my wife, like, they're different. Like they're a little more strict than we are, but uh, they love people because that's how I felt like I'd been raised. Mm-hmm. Like looking back comments and things that were said and, and yeah. sarcasm and jokes, like that's not really, that's not really what's happening, but they got out here and it was very hard for me because I love, I was very close to them and I still love them but I had always almost like just followed what my dad's like you had a guest and I don't remember who it was that did the podcast with you that said sin was whatever displeased his dad. Right. And that, that kind of resonated with me. Like as long as dad is okay, I'm okay. Right. So never, and I'm not blaming them or anything my parents did. That's just what I felt like. That's my perspective. You know, as long as what I do is approved of, I'm good, whether it's by dad or, or as dad or dad as pastor or whatever. But they moved out here. It, it caused a lot of tension. I, I was surprised by the way things went. But in a time when we really needed grace the most, we found that in a lot of other places like um, churches that, that, that a good fundamental Baptist would never consider fellowshipping with you right. know, had people bringing us meals out of the blue and coming and praying over our son and bringing a guitar and singing to our kids at a time when we needed it the most. And we just needed people to, to love us, you know, and when my family gave up everything, they left the pastorate and they left their home and all that and moved here. The actions wasn't weren't from some of them weren't quite the same. It was, it was a, a time of conflict. And part of that was on us. Part of that was on them. But I started like asking some questions that like my wife started really asking some questions about what we were doing. And then in, in our church, it was just really dead. And when we would ask, you know, well, why can't we do this? Or what about this youth activity? It was like, well, that's just the way we've always done it. And so we're going to keep doing it that way. We don't want kids just coming in and getting pizza and never coming back was something that I was told like stuff like that. And Right. Eventually, we really, we really kind of separated from there, not so much over a disagreement with the IFB movement, which it, like maybe is different from some of the others you've spoken to, but more because the church just wasn't a healthy place. Hmm. Uh, it didn't feel like it was alive and vibrant and really following Christ. And so we left, and that was a difficult thing for us. And we tried to find, you know, the, the best church we could find in town that to us would be like similar or whatever. Right. But we'd been listening to some preaching and it was like nothing we'd ever heard. 
and I've heard a lot, a lot of preaching, you know, being at West coast, being at camp meetings yeah. for weeks on end. And the, our first Sunday at our new church, the pastor got up and he said, I want to start this morning by praying for every other church in town and every other pastor to have a great Sunday and that, 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 you know, God's power would be on them and, and mm-hmm. they'd be blessed by, by, and we were completely blown away. Like you can do that. Like those people aren't heretics, you know right. what I mean? And so at that point, we're still like, even today, it's been two years and I'm still very much struggling with some aspects of IFB culture, like everything, not personally, but like wrestling with the ideas about racism that were present, that were just normal, Uh, the ideas about sexism that were present, that were just, they're normalized, they, they are what they are. And so you bring that with you as an adult after 25 years or 30 years or whatever, especially through all these different ministries where it's, it's very similar all the way through and getting away from that and separating from that and really focusing on, you know, what are we here for? Like, right. do we agree about Jesus? Right. That's, that's what matters. And then from there, everything else we can sort out later. And and just because we don't necessarily agree about certain things spiritually, or you don't believe in God doesn't mean we can't be friends and we can't uh, associate with each other to some right. degree. Right. So how did that go with the actual, you know, leaving the church that you were at? What was that process like? And was that, was it fairly smooth and just like, we're done. And then the next Sunday you're, you're switched out or is it, was it something that was kind of like a slow, kind of painful, trying to make it work and then, you know, moving from there? I think it was somewhat um, different than many others we've talked, you know, talked about on this podcast because we left for different reasons like we weren't like oh we're sick of baptists we're leaving like this is all right no like we didn't necessarily feel completely that way at first right and so we'd been listening to uh or watching the the youtube channel for my you know the church we're at now for months and listening to this preaching but we didn't want to try it because it's like you know all the things that you hear in a small baptist church you know Oh, the music, it's right. a big church. So they must not be preaching the truth. Like it was uh, almost like scary. Like, mm-hmm. are we going to jump straight into heresy if we go to this place? And so we tried, like it said, uh, first Southern Baptist church, you know, we tried uh, a, a Baptist church and it was like, this is very similar to what we just left. And my wife's parents actually left with us, which made it a lot, yeah. a lot easier. It was, there was a lot of discussion between all of us about what's the right thing to do. And my wife finally like looked at her dad and was like, Hey, my kids need you to be a spiritual leader and to help them as a grandpa and just being lethargic and sitting in a church pew because that's what you do and being gone traveling because you'd rather be on a cruise ship than be at this church, you know, is, is going to hurt you and it's going to hurt them. And so we all kind of talked about it and left together, which was, very difficult and I feel bad about because we were the two deacons in the church and we, we went and talked to the pastor. It was like on a Sunday afternoon, mm. like we can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm supposed to be leading your choir tonight. I'm supposed to be teaching your teens tonight. And I feel like I'm such a hypocrite doing that. We need, we need to tell you like, we can't do this anymore. There were some, some bumps in the road. The The worst part was uh, there were some really deep friendships there. My, my wife had spent a lot of time with, the pastor's wife as a, as a, like a, a preteen. And then as a teenager, right. she really loved her and she loved her, but that relationship had kind of deteriorated somewhat. 
and then when we when we left i mean it's been i mean it's been a mess man like blocked here blocked there on social media i don't trust you in messages when she says hey how you doing like stuff like that so we we're not looking to avoid anybody or cause any conflict or be like hey look at us we're over here you're over there you're bad we're good although we don't disagree with them but there's almost in that culture there's no room for discussion right there's no room like because we left we're pretty much outcast there and i can't speak for for every church every ifb church but the ones that i've been in the several that's pretty much almost always the case right so it was a struggle it was hard to find a new place it was different and scary and and when that's been ingrained in you especially for someone who who like functions on approval and functions on hearing you're doing the right thing. It was really hard, you know, right. to have ingrained, you're doing the wrong thing. What are you doing? There's drums on the stage. There's screens. There's people raising their hands. Oh my goodness. Like um, that was really a challenge mentally more than anything else. So like I, and I, I feel awful for all the people who've been on this podcast and everywhere within the movement who have, suffered some form of physical or sexual abuse. I worked as a social worker at a mental health clinic for nine years. And so dealt with that a lot. I never really, I never really suffered that, but psychological abuse is a thing. And I think that a lot of people within the movement who are like me, who don't question are the ones who are marginalized and like, he's good. He's just going to do what he's asked to do. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I don't have to worry about him. He, I could send him on tour. I can ask him to work 79 hours and get paid 50 cents an hour and he'll do it. You know, and I'm not saying that happened to me. I'm just saying like, that's the kind of person that right. gets taken advantage of in that way. Um, as opposed to someone like, uh, say my wife or like yourself who, who asks a lot more questions and is more vocal about your like, what are we doing here? So right. it, was, it was rough. It was rocky, um, yeah. but not as bad as some others. Yeah, no, I. It's interesting. I was I was listening to the audio book for Stephen Hassan, who's a he's a cult expert, and he talks about. And again, I've I've talked about on the show. Like, I don't think you know every church within the movement's a cult, but I do think there's a lot that meet a lot of that criteria. So, the book was helpful in a lot of in a lot of ways addressing that issue. But one of the things he said that was interesting was the misconception that people have about. I forget what he calls. He calls it harmful harmful influence that's that's basically what he describes cult influence as harmful influence is that they don't look for weak people generally organizations that want to have negative influence on somebody look for people that are very very strong very emotionally healthy very um, intelligent but they look for people that don't like you said don't ask questions will you know, usually they'll swoop in after a tragedy happens and, you know, use that as leverage yeah. uh, or some radical life change. So people just getting off of drugs and alcohol, people who, yeah. you know, just lost a loved one in an accident, people who, you know, fill in the blank. But but that was really a big eye opener for me because I think a lot of times with when we look at people who stay in these movements for 20, 30, 40 years, we can tend to lose sight of the fact that they are victims too many times and they're not stupid or weak-minded they're probably in a lot of in a lot of cases good people that are you know their goodwill is being abused by somebody and i see it all the time i see you know i, I know people that i'm very close to who have worked you know 20 years in ministries where they get 
you know, they get paid 50 cents an hour and they're working 80 hours a week and they're mowing lawns at, you know, 4 a.m. They're preaching Sunday school at nine. Then they're doing choir at 1030. And they're good people with really strong work ethic that just are yes men. Like they're, they'll say yes to it. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's such a hard thing to remember because it is easy to just like, for lack of a better word, to victim shame people who are, who are in these situations. Like, why do you do this? Why do you do this to yourself? Yeah, no, but, absolutely. And, and I, I even look back at myself a few years ago and am ashamed and embarrassed by who I was and how I treated the people closest to me. Right. Uh, but also knowing like, that's not who I want to be. Right. That's how I was raised. It was ingrained, almost like, I hate to use the word brainwashed, but in a way like that's what you're taught to be and to do. And you know, yeah, you know, I'm not stupid. I'm not someone who's, who's just going to blindly follow, but in a way that's exactly what I did, you know, right. that was, was trained into me. And it's interesting. You mentioned after a tragedy or some huge life event, that is what I saw over and over and over with people in uh, the girls and boys home. Mm-hmm. Like all of these kids would come and their parents would send them and it would be in, in their family, some huge event, you know, so that could range to anything from, you know, this boy borrowed a car and went to the theater with a girl without permission yeah. to, you know, this kid stabbed somebody at school, like wide ranging. Right. But in almost every instance, it's like, let's send them there because they're at this low point And then let's take advantage of that low point. Right. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like love them to Jesus. It was like, let's make it even worse by, by not letting them talk to anybody for a month, not letting them write to their family, telling them how bad they are and just shove, you know, accept Jesus, which I fully like, I believe that 100% that Jesus is the answer. And if, if you don't believe that, you know, we could still get along and be friends, but that's what was like the one good thing given to these kids, like everything taken away. And it's this huge, like to a, to a nine-year-old, to a 12-year-old, to a 15-year-old, that is something to grasp onto. And and many times I'm like, that's, that's not real heart change. That's not them making a decision, even though you're celebrating it as that, that's them being coerced into, if I act the right way, I get certain privileges or I don't get in trouble. Right. And, and that's something that I've, had to talk about many times with my wife about how we parent mm-hmm. like that's ingrained in you as a person. So how do we get as far away from that as possible? Like, is there anything good we can keep from that? And if that's our default, how do we break it? You know, right. like I'm just trying to get you to conform and be quiet so I can do what I want to do. Right. Or, right. or act a certain way. So I'm not embarrassed. Like I don't want that. Yeah. I don't, I want to get away from that. And that's what I was seeing over and over with these kids coming into the, into the home, the lowest point in their lives. And we're there to, in a way, take advantage of them. Right. So let's, let's talk about just, you know, you, you mentioned working at one of these troubled teen homes and I've obviously had a lot of guests who have come from that background and I'm finding more and more and scheduling. I just scheduled um, two interviews today with people from that background I'm interested from being on the staff side of it, kind of what your experience was with it. Did you, is it now hindsight looking back like, oh, this, there was a lot of stuff that just probably wasn't cool. Or did you notice while you were there, like, you know, hey, 
maybe the way we're operating isn't the best, you know, or safest way for these kids? So a couple of things, one to anybody who's been in one of those homes, I know like my wife accepted Jesus there mm-hmm. was introduced to him in a real way in that home, but like nothing else was very positive about it. Right. So to anybody who had a positive experience, you know, this statement isn't really for you, but to those of you that, that had terrible things happen to you, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I can't imagine some of the things those kids had to deal with, but to answer the question, there were definitely issues that, that we talked about as a, as a couple that were like, this makes no sense, both on the church side and on, on the home side, because it was, uh, you know, basically a family as is often the case, you know, so, so these two people start the home, their kids help run the home, then they're on staff running the home. And then the entire staff, almost without exception, including us, because my wife was there is populated with people who had been in the home. Right. And one, one thing that, man, it, it, it bothered me a little bit then not enough to really do anything about it. Um, but I had a couple conversations with my wife about it, but like that whole thing that you hear from, from, from everyone that's been on your, your podcast about stay for your year, stay for your year. And then you can't go home. You're not strong enough. Like that is a tactic that they use. Like we, we used that. I, I did that. That was me as part of leadership. Like we no. used that and I didn't like fully support what was happening. And we eventually left because we were like, we had our first child and we were like, this place is toxic. Basically like we don't want to raise our child in this environment. Uh, even though we loved the landscape, we loved South right. Carolina. We loved everything about it. Like, this church environment is just unhealthy and this home environment is hurtful to so, so many. And so, you know, basically slave labor, yeah. like all the time, like, and I know work is good for teenagers, but we'd go to school for hours and then they did school year round. They go to school for hours. They get out of school and then have to go work for however long on whatever project is, is being done, whether it's like, dredging the lake or building a new something for the pastor's house or whatever. Mm. It's just, it's so sad. It's so, so hard. And especially now reading stories, you know, about like a nine-year-old kid who went to this home we were at, not while we were there, we were there for about two years, but, and one of the rules is when, when you get there, you can't, you can't talk to anybody for nine months and you're, or for, I'm sorry, for one month and you're on separation, which basically means, you, you just can't talk. Like you can't even in some cases make eye contact with some of the other kids who are considered like weak. And so they're, they're not able to talk to each other. And this nine-year-old is, you know, this guy who was a nine-year-old wrote this like poignant statement about the damage it did to him as a nine-year-old. And that was just par for the course. Like it yeah. didn't matter if you were seven or nine or 17. That's how, that's how you were treated. And so, yeah, there were some, a lot of, questions but always like i'd always been taught some kind of answer for it right and what we came back to there in that situation is like this is not the norm like we're in the deep south and this is you know one one of those strict uh places this is not the norm uh and maybe to that extent it it wasn't even though that's the norm in a lot of those kind of reform schools or, or homes but there are a lot of a lot of IFB churches where that kind of environment is the norm. Right. Yeah. 
So now being out and, you know, obviously you've, you know, you've spent a little bit of time out now, you've, you know, you've looked back at some things that maybe, you know, were harmful or that, you know, now I know for me, like there's a lot of things where, you know, I'm still realizing stuff that affected me that, you know, happened years and years and years ago that I, I always just took as a common, like that happens to everybody, right? That's the normal thing. So what's been most helpful having left as far as healing or, you know, whatever word you want to use for it for, for just maybe encouraging you guys or strengthening you after leaving that, that world. Because like you said, when you've initially leave, a lot of people either, you know, cut you off completely. Some people go the extra step of sending a, a mean text here and there, or, you know, or worse, depending on where, where you're attending. So what's been most helpful in kind of transitioning out, especially as parents with kids, I'm sure it was a, it was an adjustment as well. So what, what's been helpful? Has it been books? Like, has it been, you know, being at a new church? Like what's that been for you guys? So for like, I, I can't speak for, for my wife and in her experience or I don't want to speak for her for me personally. And as a, you know, as a family unit finding for us, finding a community or church that was so radically different from what we're used to calling a church. Like, yeah, we meet on Sundays. Yes. We all love Jesus. All those things were the same. But the the grace, the inclusivity, the willingness to actually practice the principles the Bible teaches about loving your neighbor, like, you know, because somebody is gay doesn't mean you can't love them, yeah. right? Or because somebody went out and got drunk last weekend doesn't mean God can never use them again, right? Like the Bible is yeah. full and forgive me if you're listening and you're not, you know, um, a follower of God, you don't believe in God. I believe very strongly in the Bible and over and over in the Bible, there are stories of people who are broken and God redeems them. And and yet in the FB movement, it was often you're broken. We're going to kick you out. Right. right? Or you're, you're broken. You're not good enough to do this. You're not good enough to do that. And so being in that community was, was a huge thing, but for yeah. me more, I'm a huge words guy. I love to, I read a ton. The words have meaning to me. Like if you use a certain word, it means something specific, right. um, which sometimes is good and sometimes can be bad when, when, you know, having an argument with my wife or whatever, but just being able to have my mind open to this whole other side of things like right. literature, music, preachers, teachers, just people who do not view things the same way that I do. Right. Right. So I'm critically thinking about everything. I'm not just hearing my pastor say, Oh, this book is awesome except for this part. So disregard that part. Right. Yeah, and, right. and accepting that because that's the kind of person I was. Yeah. I'll skip chapter three of that book. Right, but, right. Skip right. chapter three or, or eat the meat and spit out the bones. Cause some of this, these ideas are great. And some are, like I'm now filtering that instead of through someone's opinion or ideas, trying to do that through scripture and then really being intentional. The last thing is, is like really being intentional in, in like I've mentioned in parenting, in everything that we do, like, why, why do we do this? Right. Like, what is the reason for this? Why do we not uh, say drink alcohol? 
why do we not go like, I'm not saying we do these things, but I'm saying like, why is that an issue for us to go to a movie or for someone who has gotten drunk in the last six months? Why should they not serve at church if you're struggling with pornography, but we're going to let you do your thing. Or if you've abused someone, but we're you know what I mean? Like just being trying to be loving in my favorite verse, like it changes, but this one is stuck for probably about a decade now. And it's really helped me, especially in this time that we're kind of going through as a country too, is Micah 6, 8. And the only version I know is King James. And it says, he showed you what's good. What does God require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with God. And I pretty much did the opposite of all of those as a like do justice. No, they're lazy. They should work harder. They, all of that, you know, love mercy. No, you sinned. There's a consequence. Uh, Humbly with God. No, I knew every answer and I still struggle with that. Like pride is still a struggle. Like I know every answer to everything because it's been pounded into me for 30 years. So having community, having an, an, an ability to take anything and filter it through scripture instead of filter it through what, what man said, and then just being open right. and, and allowing grace to have as much weight as, you know, love and grace to have as much weight as God's holiness right, or, or more yeah. <laughs> because Jesus said, that's the greatest commandment to love people. And, and I really wish there was more of that practice in our, in our churches and just in our communities in general. Right. Um, and others. So you, you know, obviously the sh- the show focuses on you know abuse within the IFB, and we've kind of covered the, you know, the the mental side of that, you know, the kind of spiritual side of that, and obviously we've had many guests on that talk about the you know the physical side of that, and it raises a question that I ask every show, which is you know, do you think that the IFB movement can be redeemed or reformed or you know transformed in some way? What would be your answer to that? You know having again this hindsight you know reading a lot thinking about this a lot do you think there's an opportunity for the movement to be reformed or do you think it's something that you know when you look at it, you say man i just don't see how you could rebuild this into something i i really struggle with with that answer um i think back to to acts when peter and paul had their falling out and peter is clinging to this legalistic way of thinking. Right. Right. But you, God used Paul and some, some of the other church leaders then to to help change Peter's mind. And Peter went on to do great things for God. I have a hard time saying no, that, that it, it can't be used by God in some way, but as it currently exists and has for several decades, no, the, the idea that, Anybody outside of here, we can't associate with them. Right. Um, you know, if you don't live a certain way, you're ungodly. You know, and and for some people, I know that's that's an, not the answer they want to hear. You know that I I don't really know, and you know God can use anyone. That's an easy way out. But I don't really have a solid answer. I, I think God can redeem and use anyone. Right. And if we're talking about individuals, I think there are individuals who have come out of that movement who are leaders now who definitely have taken huge giant leaps right. toward what you might call a, almost a reformation type process. But then again, you wouldn't even call them Baptists at this point. Right. 
Like, yeah. and they wouldn't, many of them, some, I can't speak for all of them, <clears throat> but they, many of them that I've spoken to wouldn't want to be called that. Right. So that's like, they don't want to affiliate with that. So I guess this, the simple, simple answer is no, as it has previously existed. No. But do I think that people coming out of that movement can be used to, to help repair some of the damage? Uh, absolutely. I think right. so. And I think that's a, a theme that we've seen many times throughout history and not, not just, you know, in the scripture. Yeah. No, it's a quite, I mean, I've struggled with it too, to what extent I think it can or can't be. And every, you know, there's been a lot of answers, you know, saying no. And there's been, you know, some answers that have said, you know, yes, if this and this happen, but I, I agree with you as it stands. And, you know, I, I always circle back to, and I think I've maybe said on the show before, but you know, my, my question would be, you know, when we talk about reforming the movement, and I know a couple of years ago, there was a lot of people writing articles about reforming the movement and restoring the movement and, you know, fill in the blank. And my, I just look back at like the early days of the movement and I just think, do we really want to, has anything really changed since then? <laughs> would we really be changing anything? Because I think a lot of the flaws have been there since the inception. And so, yeah, you know, yeah, I think that's why the idea of, of it being redeemed rather than reformed appeals to me right. uh, because I've heard you say that before. And that's, I totally agree with that. Like from its inception, it's been to some degree flawed, right? right? It, 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 the, the modern movement, you know, I'm not, you know, talking about what Baptists claim we can trace everything all the way back forever through the Waldensians and all the, you know, all this historical stuff. We're talking about modern day IFB was never a healthy environment right Right. when you're in an environment that says keep it to yourself don't tell anybody when somebody's been abused or is being sexually physically psychologically tortured it's not healthy and i don't think there's any room to say yeah we can call back to something that was never healthy but as far as redeemed god taking something that's broken and worthless in many ways and using it for his glory absolutely believe that 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 could that's a possibility Right. Yeah. That's kind of exclusively what he does. So <laughs> it seems, it seems realistic. So just before we wrap up, I know you mentioned, you know, you just mentioned obviously like the physical abuse side. Is that, is that something you ever saw or experienced within the IFB or was it just something that was, it was whispers about it? It was, because that's what I'm curious about too, is, you know, the, the conversation of, you know, why well, I never saw it or I, you know, I never heard of it. You know, this is, I just saw a podcast with three pastors who said in 20 years, they'd never heard of a case of someone that they were familiar with. And I was like, well, that can't be true because I know, I know a lot. So was that something you were aware of when you were on the inside of the movement or was it something? No. Okay. And I think part of the reason for that is because it's presented so differently than what actually happened. Like I was reading a story, we're talking about it right before we started recording, but I was reading a story and this is like a common theme where uh, a youth pastor or a pastor or, or a person in power in an IFB church sexually manipulated and abused a, a child, you know, a 15 year old, 14 year old, a 16 year old. And this goes on for years right. because the child is terrified to come forward, which is a very normal response for a child to have a teenager right. or young child. They feel guilty. Um, they feel like they're dirty, like they're the ones that are wrong. And then when those people do come forward, 
it's talked about as if it was like some kind of consensual thing. Right. And they're both disciplined. And so as the, the person in the pew, and, and I didn't see a lot as an adult, haven't seen a lot of church discipline, but have, you know, as a teenager, college age, saw few, it was often presented as like this mutual thing where now that I'm out of it and we're, you know, allowed to listen to those voices that are calling out for help. It's like over and over again, that seems to be the theme where somehow it's like, it's covered over. It's presented as they both need to repent and get right. And yet somehow, you know, the girl or the boy that's molested is shipped off somewhere. We never hear from them again. And this pastor is still on staff or moves on, on to the next place. So I never personally experienced it, but like some of the articles and, and the investigative reporting that have come out in the last three, four years, um, uh, Sarah Smith and Fresno and then uh, like the star telegram, I think Houston, was that where that was? I'm not- uh, star, the star telegram is out of, um, I want to say Fort Worth, uh, Dallas. It's out of Fort Worth. Yeah, um, yeah. Somewhere in Texas, right? It's a big place. Right. Um, but those really opened my eyes because as I'm reading through those articles and reading through the names, uh, it was like a train wreck because I'm still yeah. not right. And we're told like they're just casting, uh, you know, casting shade on on us. They're throwing shade at us. They're they have a beef with us, whatever. Right. And so I go and I start reading it, and it's almost like I shouldn't be reading this. This is gossip, whatever. But yeah. then I start seeing name after name after name after name after name that I know yeah. personally. I sat in their church, relatives, incredibly close friends, like their, their parents, everything from this guy was, you know, talking to a child online. And when police came, he shot himself to this guy counseled a girl who was abused, did nothing about it. She was abused again. And then they sent her away. Like, right. and all these are people that I, I know. And I'm like, how did I not see this? Right. And, and, and I can answer that personally, and this is really personal, but I'm just, I'm just going to dive into it because I think this is sometimes a common thing in some circles that people don't even talk about. My parents came from a generation and from a group that you didn't talk about sex, right? I never got the talk. Right. Never got it. Never one time. I, I don't know that I ever heard about a physical relationship between a man and a woman ever in my home. And so when that's the case, and I think that's, I'm probably not the only one, right? Like, yeah. I know there are probably others. Yeah. How do you even know? Like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Right. I have no idea what's going on. So how would I even know to call it out? And I think right. that's why it's so important to be, uh, to now as a parent, like we are almost maybe hyper the other way, educating our kids about this is what pornography looks like. This is what is an acceptable touch and not an acceptable touch. This is what anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, it's okay to say no. Even right. to a because you're taught, you know, you're kept somewhat. And I'm not saying everybody was, was brought up that way. Cause I know a lot of people weren't, but that was my experience. Yeah. And, I've that and that contributes to it being kept in the shadows. And then when you pile on, like, I think it was just earlier today, you'd shared the camp rules that said the adults always write. Even if they're right. Wrong. Right. Right. The church out in California. And that was always the kind of the theme. Yeah. And that's the theme. It's like, well, that's the pastor. He's saying these people were both wrong. There's no more discussion or question. Yeah. Right. 
You know, that's it. It's really interesting. And I know we have to jump off here in a second, but I, you know, that's one thing I don't think a lot of people understand because I, I see these cases, you know, I was talking with someone about one of the cases and, you know, they said, well, you know, they said, it's absolutely wrong that they did that. But, you know, that person was 17, you know, or that person was 16, like, you know, and I sat there and I said, and they said, again, like, I'm not saying it's wrong, but like, do you really hold them at the same level as, you know, someone who's with a, you know, a much younger kid? And, and I, the one thing I just tried to explain is that the, again, obviously it's wrong regardless, like it, using your position that way. But one thing I, I don't think a lot of people understand is that a 17 year old in the IFB usually doesn't have the mental development of a 17 year old because of how limited conversations about sex are because of how limit, like how sheltered and protected, like her, I say protected, but by being sheltered, you're actually kind of less protected, Bubble but there boy. is, you know, I, 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 there's so many people, like I, I look at these stories that are coming out and you can find that. I mean, just reading the stories of all these survivors, a lot of them say like, Oh, my first experience was that. And they told me that that was normal. So I listened and, yep. you know, there's a lot of these stories that could have been avoided if parents sat down and said, you know, hey, this is, you know, if you don't want to hug somebody, you don't have to hug somebody. If someone wants to give you a kiss and you don't want to give them a kiss, you don't have to. And like, you know, and you do, you look at rules like those camp rules, like that was on all of our stuff. And I think they're well in, I think, I mean, for that church specifically, I don't think they're well-intentioned, but for, you know, I think it was well-intentioned. It was to trust, you know, trust the adults around you. But the ramifications that it can have when you build someone up like that is pretty brutal. Like if you, if you have an unlimited amount of trust for any adult that opens the door for adults with bad intentions to do bad things. So I like that you brought that up because that, that is like, I mean, you know, that how do you identify something wrong if you don't know what the right version of it is? It's important to remember we all have different experiences, you know, like yeah. my, my wife came from a completely different background, still in the IFB, right? And so her, her view of all these things was very different even when we started dating. And it was like some of the things that her family did blew my mind or that they talked about, you talked about sex, what? <laughs> yeah. You know, and then the things that we did, she's like, what? You've never talked about? And, yeah. and so it's very important that when we're looking at other people and hearing their stories, like like you said earlier, they're not like dumb or unintelligent. There are just, you know, a 17 year old who's been homeschooled or gone to even some Christian schools and never been outside of that church or that experience is just not going to be as prepared to deal with the pressure from an abuser. Most likely not in every case, but most likely that someone whose parents have had that talk with them, They've been open about it and said, Hey, you cannot trust every adult. Right. Yeah. Right. That's like such an important thing to... that nobody, yeah, nobody's ever taught is you can't trust every adult. Um, right. No. No. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially that's grooming. I mean, that's, that's where I think churches yeah. and yeah. Christian yeah. schools, right, unintentionally participate in that process. Yeah. But yeah, I, that's a, it's kind of a weird note to end on, but uh, I think it was important just to cover before we, before we jumped off. But I look, I, I really appreciate you jumping on and, and talking about this. And, you know, I, 
I know it's been a long time coming and, you know, I've known of you from the peripheral for <laughs> a long time. So um, it's good to finally get to connect and put a, put a face to the name. So, but uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's good. It's good to talk to you and uh, appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.